Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 102. We're still counting down to 200 of One Day Closer to Dead. My name is Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, they say that good things come to those who wait. And that is certainly true this week because for once it was not me that was waiting to start the show this week. This time you had to put a little bit of sit time in waiting for my computer to fire up. So because of that, I have to say that this is going to be a an even better episode than the normal where I have to be waiting on your ass. Well, we hope so. But I mean, you rock the boat on what we normally do. Kind of fucks with the chemistry a bit, so hopefully everything's going to go okay on this one. It's not my fault you weren't as late as normal. I, I, hey, it is what it is, dude. I'm glad that you finally got yours in, so there you go. Well, yeah, migraines are a bitch like that. So how are things going? What is what is life? How are, how are things in Kentucky? Well, things are, you know, it's just about the same as usual around here, uh, seeing how, how much longer it's going to take before... You know, there's the whole possible shutdowns and, you know, distancing, mask mandates. How, that how bad, we're doing. huh? So, well, yeah, that bad. We'll, we'll see how we're doing here. It's just uh, ramping up uh, with the old Delta Blues. So we'll, we'll see what happens. The, the cotton candy, Jason. Let's not, let's not throw too many nicknames on it. It is not no, Apollo, no, no, it is no, not no, Apollo no. Creed. No, 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 no. The cotton, cotton candy is the entirety of the thing, but uh, the great Joe Baca, who is one day coming to rape you on that fucking game of yours, is uh, named it the Delta Blues, this variant. So we're in the Delta Blues now. Cotton candy, Delta Blues. This is like, you know, maybe the Netflix series of the hit movie. I don't know. So here well, we go. It, well, if it starts killing a bunch of people, we could change it to Delta Force. Cotton candy, Delta Force, because it's as deadly yeah. as Chuck Norris back in the Absolutely. Back in the heyday. Uh, but I, uh, certainly don't want to give any credit that is not due to, uh, our favorite Chewbacca fan, but never, nevertheless, uh, did he end when he made that suggestion? Did he end that suggestion with fuck you, Dr. Cosby? At this point, we talk so much that everything would just be fuck you, Dr. Cosby. It'd be like every other sentence at this point. I'll take but that as no, which means I, I can tell you for a fact that it, we have been getting a lot of nice emails with that, that ending. So there we go. Well, wonderful. You know, I was, it was it was a tough week to kind of program, Jason, because, you know, for once, there's just nothing happening in the world. No, you know, everything is at peace and everything is happy and cotton candy is gone. And, you know, the, the world is such a, a tranquil, wonderful place right now. I really didn't know how we were going to to fill our time this week. Do you have any ideas? I don't know because, you know, globally, America is as popular as it's ever been. We seem to be taking care of all our people out there who have ever assisted us in every country that, you know, we, we lent a helping hand and things are great out there. And, you know, it's just there, there's really nothing. There is no dumpster fire to really cover this week, is there? All right. I think by now the fair weathers have all fallen off. So now we're just down to the, the hardcore dozens now. So now are you ready to get down to the brass tacks of the week? Oh, let's fucking do it. The world is a motherfucking dumpster fire, Jason. Did you know that? It, more now than ever before. Did you fucking... Know, maybe not than ever before. I mean... No, I Trump's, don't know. Trump's <laughs> not president. Bad. I can say that. But did you know why? Because it truly fucking is. Indeed. So we have a lot to talk about in this absolute decades-long clusterfuck that is Afghanistan, but also something I don't know if it's part of what you're... You know, what's in your head, Jason? Because, again, we don't pre-discuss, like, where the topics are going to go. Uh, but something I would also like to address is how the media has covered said event uh, over the last week. So, for those that are living in a hole somewhere that are unaware of what is currently going on, um, you know, uh, President Joe Biden has announced, well, he had announced a, a long while back that we, you know, there was a hard date on, on uh, American troops finally leaving Afghanistan. That date is now, you know, pretty much upon us. And it hasn't exactly been going well. So um, there was a lot of speculation about how long the propped up Afghan government with its security forces would last without uh, immediate sure. U.S. support. I don't know how many people had bet on like three weeks, but nevertheless, here we are. So basically, after over 20 years of being in this, you know, hot, cold war, whatever, 
with American troops over there and thousands of people having died. And that's just counting Americans, not even including the hundreds of thousands of Afghanis that have died in the conflict. Uh, all of that has basically amounted to the entire effort falling apart in three weeks. The Taliban has pretty much seized control of the country. The American withdrawal, meaning the American withdrawal of uh, American citizens like from the embassy or from allies, for example, Afghan translators and such and such, uh, that has not been going smoothly. There's all this, you know, massive, uh, you know, press coverage of people trying to jump on airplanes and like literally on the outside of airplanes and helicopters, a la Schwarzenegger and commando as things are, are taking off into the air. I mean, you know, we try to bring some levity to certain subjects, but there's not a lot to be found here because it's just an endless array of human suffering. Now, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, but Jason, uh, let's start with you. Afghanistan. Well, that went well. All right. Thank you. Now for our next subject of the week. I'm kidding. Go ahead, Jason. The thing is with Afghanistan is these are the thoughts on Jason Bailey's mind uh, with this entire subject. Okay. First of all, I, I... I want to make the distinction very clear as that I am not, nor was I ever opposed to ending the war in Afghanistan at all. Okay. I think it needed to be done well before it even really fucking began. Okay. Um, However, when you are talking about leaving after two decades of, you know, being of occupying another country. Okay. And the idea that you're fighting for freedom or that you are supporting people or that you're going to, you know, all the the human rights and making sure that everyone's, you know, protected against this uh, evil regime that could take over. um, That's great, uh, I guess, for some sort of motivation to keep staying there. But once you leave without having accomplished much of any of that, and certainly not without getting any of the people that actually assisted you who live in that country out of that fucking place before you leave, it really kind of invalidates the whole motherfucking reason you were there. My issue is not the ending of that war. My issue is if you're going to leave that country after 20 years, 20 years, think about that for a second. That's a score, okay? That is literally people being born under American occupation, under American quote-unquote protection, not knowing Anything about other than the history books of what the Taliban was in 1990s, okay, and what it could be again. So you have people, women, who were had rights or at least the facsimile thereof were able to, you know, show their face, wear makeup, have ideas, have opinions, you know, be fucking humans are now that's that's gone. That's going to go bye 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 and it's all over. Now, that's fucking horrible. What's even more goddamn horrible is all the people that believe in America's bullshit for being there in the first place, helping us translate languages, helping us be interpreters, help us be cooks, clean our clothes, you know, whatever the fuck they were doing over there that we said, hey, we're here for you. We're going to protect you. You're with us now. Yay, fucking America. Go America. Um, fuck yeah. And now we're taking off without you. Good luck because now you're wearing the red, white, and blue stripes of the United States of free enterprise. Uh, good luck with you, your wife, your, your wife, your, your daughters, your have a good time because we're fucking out of here, bitches. And you leave all these people, hundreds of thousands of people who are now marked with the red, white, and blue bullshit that we fucking painted them with. And here comes the Taliban. Now, I know you keep throwing out that three-week kind of timeline, but if you really want to get to brass motherfucking tax on this shit, it really took 11 days. 11 motherfucking days after 20 years of the United States of America basically upholding the law and protecting and educating the troops and getting them up and running and putting this bullshit government up and running like, yay, democracy. 11 fucking days to undo 20 goddamn years, okay? So the thing is that what's what's really bothering me more than anything else is if you were going to withdraw, probably should not for political reasons have started telling the entire world that we're going to withdraw and the dates and times and plans to do this. That's one. 
Number two, before you start pulling Americans out of Afghanistan, you should damn well start pulling the people out that promised and gave their fucking lives and gave and people that they love gave their lives and helped the United States of free enterprise occupy that goddamn country. They go first. You figure out a motherfucking plan for them first before we leave. Because as we should not have goddamn been there, that's one, but we were fucking there. So now it's our goddamn problem. And it is our responsibility as this, this thing that we are the strongest quote unquote goddamn country in the world, economically, militarily, to protect these people that gave their lives for us and will definitely be slaughtered and mutilated. And there, there will be some sort of medieval barbarism that is coming for all these wonderful human beings that helped us and were with us. That's what fucking bothers me. The war never should have been in the first goddamn place. If we were going to go to war with some motherfuckers, it should have been Saudi Arabia. Period. The goddamn end after 9-11. And it's been shown again and again and again. While there was a safe haven for terrorists and the Taliban and Osama bin Laden and all that good shit over there in Afghanistan, we overthrew that shit temporarily at least right at the beginning. We didn't need a 20-year fucking war. We should have had a five-year fucking nuclear war with goddamn Saudi Arabia. Fuck those motherfuckers that put that in. That's 9-11 right there for you. But it was, a, it was basically a bait and switch so that we could have a war, we could occupy the Middle East, so we could get fucking back in Iraq. It was bullshit. All of it bullshit. And this 20 years later... This is the biggest bullshit. And as the Biden administration said, you're not going to see the same scenes you saw in Saigon where, you know, the helicopters taking off and people are jumping. No, we saw fucking worse. We saw fucking worse. People dropping from the fucking sky on transports. This is fucking crazy. And it is a failure on so many goddamn fronts. But for the Biden administration to be sitting there going, well, we, I mean, it went a little faster than we thought, but golly gee, we, you know, we have, we, we can't stay there. They're not willing to fight for themselves. They're not willing to fight for themselves because you're pulling all your fucking air support. You're pulling evac, you're pulling everything. How the fuck are they supposed to defend themselves? Of course, they're going to join the other side or fucking get defeated or fucking get killed. Well, there's a lot to say in that I agree that it's a systemic failure on the entire you know, military-industrial complex of the United States, along with the government contained therein, uh, over the last, I mean, beyond 20 years, but 20 years specifically in Afghanistan. But obviously there was a lot of history that got us even to before Afghanistan. But nevertheless, um, I think there are some things that Biden deserves credit for, and there are things that he deserves derision for. I do think he deserves credit for sticking to removing us from Afghanistan because I don't think any amount of additional time. Now, I will get to the withdrawal and the what you said about, you know, in regards to our allies and making sure that they were protected and taken care of. You know, I agree with that. I, I reference that as well. But put that aside for a moment. I don't think anything would be gained by another three months, six months, two years, like extending, 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 give us a little more time, a little more time just to get it more stable in the infrastructure. 11 days, three weeks, whatever it is, after 20 years, nothing was going to change that at this point. Like that bread had been baked. Uh, so I give him credit for taking the political heat that he had to have known was coming. Because this exact scenario is why Obama didn't pull us out at that when he was president. Why Trump didn't pull us out when he was president. Because of exactly what is happening now. Because they knew that this was going to be an absolute fucking clusterfuck. And nobody wanted to be, you know, without the chair when the music stopped. So I will credit Biden this. I do think... To an extent, I don't think he anticipated, like you mentioned with his comments about, oh, this isn't going to be like Vietnam. Um, I, I, To an extent, he knew what an absolute mess this was going to create. But at the same time, I do think he was genuine in saying he didn't want to kick the can down the road and just hand it off to another president for another decade of war. And I do think there's something admirable there. Now, uh, as far as what got us there, I mean, George Bush is a war criminal. 
And it's hilarious yep. to me that, like, if, I don't want to hear a goddamn peep out of George Bush or Dick Cheney or any of those motherfuckers about what their opinions are on whether or not we should have left at this point because we never should have fucking been there to begin with. And yes, if the, if the deal was to get Osama bin Laden, once he left Afghanistan, so should we. So, and by all accounts, by, you know, interviews that have been released, by the Afghanistan papers, by all of this research that has been done, some of which is only now coming to light, there was never a clear goal on what the mission was. The, the public was sold on a humanitarian crisis, which by all accounts absolutely did and does exist, but the United States from a government standpoint was not there with the purpose and the specific goal of dealing with that. It was always about the hundreds of billions of dollars that got spent in weapons and resources and contracts. And by all accounts, the Afghani government, part of the reason they collapsed so goddamn fast was because they were so fucking corrupt, running away with as much money as they possibly could. They had no support of the people because the people knew that they didn't give a shit about them. Not that the Taliban does either, but I mean... For the public, like, you're either picking a knife or a bullet. Like, it kind of depends on which organ it's going to hit. Like, either way, they're fucked. Now, that's not equal across the board because, as you mentioned, obviously, um, you know, women have a really tough time moving forward in that country. They already had it hard enough as it was. But the Taliban are not exactly known for being feminist friendly. And... I think that's one of the biggest things that I absolutely agree the United States has a longstanding responsibility now is the refugee crisis that is now absolutely resulting from this and will be resulting from this for years and years to come. And abdicating that responsibility is also how you get more Taliban to form or the next ISIS to form or whatever. That's how you radicalize an entire generation to hate your nation and want revenge on you. So while I don't think we will do it, I think America does need to rise to the occasion and take in as many refugees from Afghanistan as we possibly can who had assisted, you know, our forces and our troops and, as you said, translators and, and cooks and soldiers and, you know, anyone and everyone that was involved in that effort trying to assist our quote-unquote side, they should be absolutely taken care of. And I don't want to hear this bullshit, oh, we can't afford it and blah, blah, blah. We just wasted $100 billion dollars. No yeah. We wasted $100 billion. How could that have been used during a pandemic? Don't fucking tell me that we can't afford it. So it's a systemic failure from Bush on. It's a failure from Bush. It's a failure to Obama to not get us out. It's a failure to Trump to not get us out. And it's a failure to Biden for when it was time to go out that he was not better prepared for the fallout that would therein, whether he listened to the wrong people or whether he was ignorant or whatever. But that comment that he made where he was all kind of confidently saying, oh, the, this isn't going to be that messy. This isn't going to be, be like, that's going to haunt the rest of his presidency. But I still think he deserves credit for at least sticking to his guns and taking the heat on the fact that it's time for this fucking thing to end. And it was a long time ago. Now, something else I would like to mention. I think I've made it clear I don't see this as a Republican problem, a Democratic problem. I see it as an American governmental systemic military failure problem. And again, I'm not anti-soldier either, so let's not say that. I have plenty of friends and loved ones who have served over there over the last 20 years, and I have nothing but love and respect for them. Um, that said, I also know some people that were absolutely horrible fucking people that also served over there. That that speaks nothing to you know a person's individual ethics, valor, value as a person. But soldiers who were doing what they were asked from their government, that being the United States, deserve respect and credit for that service, regardless of the government failures that have, you know, resulted in where we are right now. And I'm rambling a little bit, but I got somewhere I'm going. So just, you know, follow as best you can. But we always, the, 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 the national discourse is always about like bar bipartisanship and coming together. And you know what's bipartisan, Jason? What? What's bipartisan is when it's time for the neocons and the warmongers to come out and start bitching about the fact that the checks just got cut off. That is as bipartisan as anything in fucking America. And I'll give you a microcosm that speaks to the larger issue. Just a specific example that I think is systemic throughout how I've seen this get talked about and covered over the last like week, two weeks. CNN had John Bolton on to give his opinion about how this was a disastrous pullout of Afghanistan and blah, blah, blah. 
This dude has been jerking himself off to the idea of dropping a nuke on the Middle East for over four fucking decades. He has had an axe to grind with anybody and everybody who has ever believed in Allah. And this was a miserable piece of shit that CNN was very happy to point out when he was part of Trump's cabinet. But when he got fired... He was allowed to write a book and go on a redemption tour, which CNN, along with all these other news outlets, were more than happy to let him do because anybody that was part of Trump's orbit that was willing to talk shit about him in public, great for ratings. We will absolutely help you do that. So you take this big-ass piece of shit and you throw him on there to get his fucking opinion? I don't give a fuck about his opinion. Just like I don't give a fuck about what O.J. Simpson's opinion is when it comes to domestic violence. Like, the fact that the mainstream media is now going all in, bringing all these people, no matter what the network, on to bitch and moan about how we never should have pulled out this way and blah, 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 blah. Now, again, there's legitimate criticisms to be had. I don't think those discussions on the mainstream level are happening in good faith or in good discourse. I think the conversation now is how do we get our the remaining citizens out? How do we get our allies out? How do we take care of the women and children that are now left without a home or without a country that they can cause call their own, largely because of our own fucking actions? That is all perfectly valid. But to have these warmongers on there who have profited off of the military-industrial complex for decades, have them on there so that they can bitch about the fact that they are now off the teat? Fuck that. I can sum that up in two words, which can be summed up in two letters, F and U. Jason, final thoughts. My final thoughts on that is you're absolutely fucking correct. It, you know, they get all these motherfuckers who got kicked out of the Heenan family to start doing interviews with Gene Okerlund about what a piece of shit that Heenan was. And he's a good guy now. And we never should have, you know, really attacked Hogan that way. Fuck you. It's all pro wrestling period. And the deal is that if you're looking for good coverage, I know this is fucking crazy what I'm getting ready to say, but I'm, I'm a news junkie and I watch news across the board. I don't give a fuck where it comes from. And I do two things things. I absorb the fucking news and then I look at who fucking reported it and why they're reporting it. The best coverage I've seen thus far on this motherfucking Afghanistan clusterfuck of a goddamn horror show fuck fest is on, believe it or not, the streaming version of Wall Street Journal. There is just video pieces they put together. There's no fucking commentary. They're like protest in Kabul and they show the protest. People trying to get on a plane. They show it. There's no fucking reporter. There's no goddamn editorial. They just show you the footage. And this stuff that you're hearing on NBC, ABC, and CBS about, well, it's really kind of bad here because I saw this thing over here and Bali golly gee was, that's great. Thank you for reporting. Thank, for, thank you for putting your white ass in danger out there. But I really enjoyed the Wall Street Journal's reporting because they just turn on a camera and it's fucking obscene. It's fucking obscene what is happening over there. And they do not turn the cameras off. There are people being shot in crowds. You see it. People falling from their desks like they're falling from the World Trade Center. You see it. They're just showing you. this. Hey, this is the horrors of the world, folks. Outside of Rome, which is the quote-unquote light, okay? Here's the darkness of the goddamn world, folks. Here's what Rome did. This is what's happening in the providences out there in Germania. This is what's goddamn happening, assholes. And I thoroughly enjoyed that, that kind of reporting where it's just showing you what the goddamn hell is happening. And I can absolutely agree with this, you know, the military industrial complex bitching that we're not there anymore. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you all day. Honestly, you know, Donald Rumsfeld, I hope you're fucking burning in hell, even though I don't believe in it. And I still believe to this day that George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, along with your corpse, should be pulled in somewhere, probably at the Hague, for war crimes against goddamn motherfucking humanity, because really, you motherfuckers are the nucleus of what we're doing right now, and while Biden, yes, I do pat him on the back for saying, fuck it, we're done, I get that, it could have been done a hell of a lot better than this, goddammit, a hell of a lot better. We could have had a full year of actual pullout, protecting people, and getting them to airplanes, instead of the goddamn hunger games that are happening over there right now. 
I think the BBC has done some good. Co- I haven't followed the BBC's coverage, but from what I have seen of it, the BBC's done a pretty decent job of, of covering various incidents that have gone on in Afghanistan over the last couple of weeks. Uh, stateside, one independent outlet that I'm a big fan of is actually a YouTube channel called Breaking Points. Jason, I've sent you some of their clips before uh, with Sagar and Jetty and Crystal Ball, where he's more kind of conservative minded, not a, a Trump fan, but more like his, his political views would fall more conservative side. She's a, a more on the progressive side side that's not a gimmick it's not like that bullshit um you know Point, counterpoint thank you very much yeah from uh, cnn that john stewart eviscerated when he had his legendary appearance on there with uh, tucker carlson whatever the other fucking guy's name is it's nothing like that it's very genuine discourse they have experts that have studied the thing on they'll ask them intelligent questions get their feedback let them talk and actually really try to analyze something very honestly you can it's agree like or- it's like a more respectable version of us yeah, kind of. Uh, if you can get more respectable than us, Jason, I don't know if that's if, that, if that's humanly possible. At least me. I mean, I'm sure it's certainly possible to get more respectable than you, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> sorry, the look on your face totally made that worth it. But uh, so, yeah, I do recommend uh, Breaking Points on YouTube um, just for some honest discourse. You're free to agree or disagree with one of them, both of them, and they encourage that as well. So I, I definitely encourage that, and they have really gone hard on Afghanistan uh, this past week, two weeks especially. So I, I definitely recommend uh, checking out their coverage to get just more information, kind of make up your own mind about it. Uh, but you know what else I think really is to blame or who is to blame for Afghanistan uh, and the current state of it that I don't think gets enough publicity and I don't think gets enough enough blame, Jason? Who? Rambo. Fucking Rambo. Yeah, totally. If it wasn't if it wasn't for Rambo assisting Osama bin Laden's forces in Rambo three, it's conceivable 9-11 would not have happened. And it's conceivable we would not be where we are today. Because childhood is dead, Jason. I don't know if you knew that. I do know that. And here's I want I want just to get in there just for a second, my friend. Um, I want all of you to really listen to what we just said. And if you disagree with anything that we said or all of it. I need you to contact us because what we do here is feedback. We listen to you guys, good, bad, indifferent, what the fuck ever. But please, you need to contact us at our brand new spanking email address. You want to know what that is, Dave? Fire up the proton packs, Jason. That's right. Back off, man. We're podcasters. And you can contact us here at askdaveandjason at protonmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. But yes, Rambo, goddammit, you helped him. You made this fucking thing possible, John Rambo. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, let me finish off the email plug, Jason. Because, goddammit, fuck you, Dr. Cosby. (laughs) Not bad. Thank you. Thank you. Practice that all week. There you go. So yeah, Rambo, Jason, let's talk about him. He's, uh, uh... Sort of a hero, anti-hero, one of the original anti-heroes of the 80s. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously helped define Sylvester Stallone's brilliant career. Uh, Very quickly, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this. I will say First Blood, classic. Um, Obviously, we can talk a lot about how that was originally a three-hour film and how Stallone wanted to burn the negative originally and all of that, but we'll get there. But First Blood, classic, infinitely watchable, poignant, dealing with trauma from the Vietnam War, um, you know, the country's treatment of veterans post-war and just what war does to a person and how all his friends were gone and like just so poignant and just so brilliantly done in so so many different ways. Rambo 2, this is one of the most weirdly w- w- uh, titled franchises in, in cinema history. So we got First Blood, Rambo First Blood Part 2, Rambo 3, Rambo, and... Fuck, what was it? Rambo Last Blood? That's what it was. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Rambo 2, or excuse me, Rambo First Blood Part 2. Class, it certainly doesn't hold up as well as the as the original, but a classic of 80s action excess, I would say. Uh, certainly Stallone at his, like, burnliest, meatiest, you know. It's got some great moments, and it's got a great cast. Um, still has some, some decent drama, but it's more of a straight-up 80s action film. You know, with all of the excesses that that entailed. Rambo 3, not a fan. Hated that movie. Haven't seen it in so many years, I don't remember a lot of it. But uh, And then Rambo, or Rambo 4 for clarity's purposes, 
way better yeah. than it had any right to be. I was shocked at how good that movie was. I never thought he'd be able to pull that off. Um, I think that is the, from strictly a quality of film and storytelling and emotion standpoint, uh, the second best film in the franchise behind the original. Um, incredibly bloody and violent, not for anybody that has any type of sensitive stomach, uh, really brings light to the long-going civil war in Myanmar or Burma, depending on how you want what you want to call it, um, which I actually think he did a lot of justice to as far as yeah. the just sheer barbarism that is you know has gone on there. Uh, and then uh, Rambo Last Blood, a lot of people really hated it. I actually, I enjoyed it. I had some issues with it. There were things I thought could have been better, but I thought it was it was entertaining. Not really necessary to the series, but entertaining, and, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, those are my very quick thoughts. Jason, what, uh, what are your thoughts? Where would you like to go with uh, our favorite soldier? <clears throat> well, here's the deal. I would, I would like to cover what you did is a, a really great and just given a, a small little review of your... You know, your feelings, your attitude uh, towards the, the entire um, Rambo franchise and its, and its different incarnations. But what I'd really like to focus on is the history of the original, which is, was, was there was no Rambo in the title, as Dave said. It was just First Blood. That's the name of that movie. The reason it's named that is because it was based on, well, it was pretty much made entirely of a novelization called First Blood by David Morrell, the author uh, in 1972, this book came out and, uh, it was extremely, extremely popular at the time. And right away, Hollywood took note that this is a good story. The most interesting part <clears throat> about this novel and about the movie and the, and the 10 years it took to get it from book to film to the screen is that no one could figure out a way to strike the right tone with what the book had and what the movie would have. In 1972, when First Blood uh, came out in book form, we had not really officially ended the Vietnam War. This was one of the first novels that dealt with a returning soldier <clears throat> from Vietnam. And he wasn't named John Rambo. He was just named Rambo. They did the John thing for the movie to make it more human and more realistic in the scenes uh, where he was particularly uh, being arrested and they, they were booking him and shit like that. So it was just Rambo. And in this book, Rambo is a little different than he is in the, in the movie. He was a lot more of a killing machine and a lot more, let's say psychotic and the uh, sheriff or the chief of police or whatever the fuck he is. Uh, Teasel. Um, I think is what's the character's name? Will Will Teasel. Will yeah. Teasel, played by Brian Br Dennehy in the movie, brilliantly. I might. Oh, Brian Dennehy could fucking read a telephone book and fucking win an Academy Award. Just an amazing actor. <clears throat> but in the book, Will Teasel was, you know, just like in the movie, he was a veteran of the Korean War, and he was not the bully so much that you see in the movie as somebody that was genuinely terrified of this Vietnam vet. Uh, and you got to see in the book also the shit that war did to him too. So you had kind of like this counterbalance of two veterans returning from two different wars now at, in a conflict with each other. And then you had Colonel Troutman in it too, who was trying to control the situation. So at any rate, over the, this was a very popular book, but over the next 10 years, the viewpoints of the American public started to really change of, of, according to what, how they view Vietnam and how they viewed the Vietnam vet. Because in this book where he came back psychotic, there was this whole, you know, intellectual hippie kind of, you know, I don't know what you say, like group of people out there that really did look at returning soldiers as you fucking assholes, you burnt villages, you killed kids. What the fuck's wrong with you? There was, I mean, they spit on Vietnam soldiers coming back from the war in fucking protest. And just like my dad and probably I think, I believe yours too, Dave, these men were drafted. They, they were not fucking, they didn't sign up. Their country said, assholes, you're going to war. Just like their, their fucking dads went to war. So oh. they went. Uh, let me let me just answer that just for yeah. for clarity. My my dad uh, did enlist in the military, and is, he was sent to Vietnam. Yeah, 
Well, at any rate, you don't have a fucking choice when you're in the military defending our nation. Wherever they tell you to go, whether it's Korea, Vietnam, or fucking Afghanistan, you're sorry ass going. You're not the one calling the shots on what village to burn and who to fucking kill here, okay? That's how they were being treated when they came back from this war. So at the time this book came out, a psychotic Vietnam vet, hey, good character, But shit, throughout the 70s, by the late 70s, that's not the tone that was being taken at all. We started realizing about the effects of Agent Orange and post-traumatic stress disorder. And well, at the time, they called it shell shock. That's what they called it, is that it had changed fundamentally a human's personality that was sent over there to fight for their country. And they'd come back killing machines that simply could not fit in with normal American society. So that was the problem. Hollywood wanted to make this film, but there was so, there was like 26 different drafts of a screenplay and directors and producers kept looking into it and dropping it. And it was pretty unbelievable, the story from 72 to 82 to get this goddamn film made. But let me just talk about the actors. The actors involved were just fucking numerous. It started with James Garner, Paul Newman. It went to... Al Pacino, it went to so many fucking people, John Travolta, just a who's who, every single human being you can imagine that was a star in the 70s looked into it and then dropped it because they're like, it's just too hot a fucking topic. We're we're talking about a Vietnam vet here who's coming back, he's fucking pissed, he's shell-shocked, that's the term at the time, so forgive me, I'm using it, and he's going into combat with civilians. Also, every draft had Teasel being sympathetic or an asshole or a bully or psychotic himself. Then you had Colonel Troutman, who was in some of the some of the drafts. He was a fucking hero that solved the problem. Others, he was laughing because he had made a psychotic killing machine. So it was really the equalization of these three separate characters. Like if you were a DJ, a little bit of bass, a little bit of midtone, a little bit of treble, and Hollywood just not knowing what the sound should be when it came out of the fucking speakers. Finally, so many people fucking dropped it that Stallone, of course, had become extremely popular as Rocky Balboa. Extremely, okay? But this property, uh, Rambo, had been pushed around so long that it was pushed around before he was a celebrity. Now he's on top of the world, and he was not the first, obviously not the first choice, but they asked him, would you be interested in in playing John Rambo and, and finally getting first blood to the screen? And he's like, no, I don't know. I don't know. This is a little, it's a little too hot. And I really don't know. Is it more a drama? Is it more an action film? What I do? They said, listen, we'll pay you $3.6 million. I said, done. Okay, no problem. So right after, I believe they did Rocky 3. I mean, right after, he's moving on to film First Blood. Okay, like going from set to the Just next fucking set. To, to clarify, Jason, was it Rocky 3 or Rocky 2? Because I thought Rocky 3 was like around 80... Was it 87? No, because... No, that's no. Rocky 4. Was, Rocky, uh, 4 was eight, Rocky 4 Rocky 4 was 89. Yeah, um, no. And the yeah, reason 83, I, 83 was Rocky 3, yeah. The reason I know this, is, and this is a side thing, is because Stallone definitely, and I'm not putting people down here, folks, he's definitely uh, having a good time cycling, if you know what that means, on some gear on on Rocky 3 is the first film that he just opened up the vials and said no Arnold Schwarzenegger is not coming to town with a better fucking physique than me and he let that cycle run out by the time he's on uh first blood isn't that sad that that's how I know this shit anyway uh so he goes to the set and he's not allegedly really, he's not well, okay allegedly he it wasn't illegal at the time so at any, at any point he wasn't really sold on it, but he took the fucking money and he said, I'd like a little bit of say in the, in the screenplay, not knowing 20, 30 years later, he'd be, you know, in fucking charge of this goddamn old franchise. And they filmed it. The interesting part was that for, um, uh, Colonel Troutman, you know, Richard Crenna played that part exceptionally well, but before him, they were trying to get, uh, Kirk Douglas and Kirk Douglas almost signed, but Kirk Douglas wanted to make 
uh, Colonel Troutman, the hero that has to go in there and kill the killing machine that he made in the war. And the producers were like, we're not, we're not going to do that so much. We can change some stuff because you're Kirk Douglas and we need the star power, but we're really not going to do that. And, you know, he said, well, then fuck you. And they said, oh, I guess fuck you too. And that's, that's the end of that. They got Richard Crenn in there, which is a fantastic choice. He played last, like last minute. He was last his fucking lines on minute. The plane. <clears throat> yeah. Last minute. And he did a goddamn fantastic job. All the, all the fucking actors of first blood did good. But when, when Stallone finally went up there, I think it was, they filmed in hope Canada or somewhere like that. Um, he committed to the part and he decided he was going to make John Rambo sympathetic, that this was a character that was going to be, that was going to be pushed into the violence from the post-traumatic stress disorder he had. Well, that changed everything. The way Stallone started to portray this character and they made basically Brian Dennehy just became a fucking bully. They took out all sympathy for that fucking character that was in the book and just turned him into the, the, I mean, he was the heel in this fucking story. Which Danny so, he was always so good at. <laughs> oh, he was amazing. He was amazing. He was you know, like that uncle that you fucking hate. I mean, he's just, can, he could turn the asshole on real quick. He was he great, great, he was great as a villain in Gladiator, too. Not oh, the he, Russell Crowe one, either. You no, know which one I'm talking about. I know basically. exactly what you're talking about, baby. He'd be fucking great. Anyway, but the thing is that Brandon Hay did a great job, but the film should be watched again if you haven't watched it recently because... It is, I kind of look at it like Rocky. The original Rocky is a drama. I don't think it's an action film. I think it's a drama. Oh, not at all. By, it totally is, yeah. By Rocky three, it's turned into an action adventure comic book type thing happening. And it doesn't, it, Rocky never, in my opinion, recovers until Rocky Balboa is made. And then you're like, well, we're back to what made the juices of this this thing go. Well, that's exactly how I feel about uh, First Blood. First Blood's a drama. It, it, there's action in it. There sure as shit is, but it's a drama. And Stallone is acting in it, and it's heavy. It's, it's you know, uh, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. But the thing is that ultimately it turned into this fantastical, u- uber-masculine, uber-American patron. This whole fucking thing happened where it became action figures and comic books and headbands and Rambo knives and it's which is weird because it's rated our films all of them so I have no idea how that fucking happened but first blood is really spectacular and it's amazing that they finally set the right tone and were sympathetic towards John Rambo and the original ending of that movie and I'm not giving away fucking spoilers I'm not going to do it because I want you guys to go see it it's been long enough that you probably even forgot it the original ending of that film was dramatically different than what happened and it was filmed but in test audiences looked at and said fuck that that's not how we want vietnam vets to be shown that the only way out of that pain is that and they get they went back and refilmed the entire ending of that movie much to its goddamn credit because it's powerful and it needed to be done but that's uh, that is when a test audience was goddamn right where people were just like, nope, nope, no, 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 no. Because the test audience at that point had a brother, had a father, had somebody in their lives, husbands who had fought in Vietnam and were going through this bullshit they saw. And you got to give credit both to Stallone and the director and the producer of the film and all that, that that is the film they made because they could have made it as like, ex-Vietnam vet turns into Max Cady, goes fucking crazy and kills everybody. And that's the story. And they did not fucking do that. And that was one of the first interpretations of a Vietnam vet returning from war in any media, in any media. And here you've got Rocky playing this Vietnam vet returning from war. So it really set the standard of how powerful Motion picture really is, and certainly was at the time where you're not streaming shit and everyone's watching the same thing that gets released on, you know, Friday night at the, at your Cineplex. So much credit to First Blood. The rest of that shit turned into, yeah, I mean, if you like action adventure, war film, yay, awesome. And as Dave was basically saying at the front of the, the, the piece here in Rocky three, yes, he, he, he really is. I mean, Rocky is fighting right alongside the, you know, the Mujahideen here. Nope. And which basically turned into the fucking Taliban. Rambo, not, of, not Rocky, Jason. Rambo, Rocky, for, Rocky uh, was who, fighting clubber in Rocky 3. Well, whatever. They were all fighting Soviets at some point he fought in time. Commu- he fought communism in Rocky 4. <laughs> 
And what he was all Rocky and Rambo after, after a while were only fighting goddamn Soviets. That's what's what's happening in that. Much like it seems like Mel Gibson's always fighting the British in every film he's in. But anyway, and it just seems to me that it was or Jewish insane. people in his real life, unfortunately. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Jewish people, African Americans, whatever. And uh, the the deal is that at the end of <laughs> at the end of of of, of Rambo three, it, it, there's a nice little. Uh, Tribute to to the courageous people of Afghanistan uh, who were fighting against the Soviet incursion, in which the Soviets left in 1989. However, you know that's those same people that <laughs> that that Rambo that Rambo was fighting for did eventually turn into what we've got uh, what we've got going on today. There, so the Taliban I... was there, John Rambo was a former member of the original Taliban. It's fucking crazy, but it's true. Only here. Oh, you will only hear this information on One Day Closer to Dead, folks. I will take things that haven't aged well for $200, Alex. <laughs> At any rate, there's even bootleg fucking copies that have been made, like in the Middle East and shit, where it says for the Mujahideen, you know, thank you for all the courageous efforts. Like, it's that was the original, and it got so controversial that people are debating the original movie when it was released in movie fucking theaters. What did that say? Did it say the courageous people of Afghanistan or did it say the courageous freedom fighters of the Mujahideen? That's, and it's a huge fucking internet conspiracy. And people went back and bought videotapes like VHS from the eighties and shit. And they're saying that, you know, they're showing it on YouTube. Like, no, it always said the courageous people of Afghanistan, but in certain parts of this country, that was put on there, the Mujahideen. So the, the deal is that fucking John Rambo in certain parts of this world is looked at like a, a fighter for the beliefs of what became the Taliban. And well, I mean, that's that might, fucking insane, but it's true. That might be why he ran off and was hiding out in Thailand at the beginning of, of Rambo 4, like how... 20, 30 years later, whenever that it was. It could be. He's, he was just fucking ashamed of those efforts, I guess. I don't know. But I can tell you for a fact that if you take anything away from this piece, that, yeah, Rambo is enjoyable if you like just a lot of fucking violence and insanity. And certainly the image of Rambo, I think most people have, <clears throat> is Rambo 2 with the red headband, popping out of the water with a machine gun that can still fire somehow, you know, taking a bow and arrow, he shoots it and like it nukes something with the impact of the bow and arrow. That's sort of what you have in mind. And by the way, if you just want to talk steroids and bodybuilding and the look, allegedly, uh, thank you. Uh, Sylvester Stallone says himself that he was never in more fucking swole shape than when he was in uh, Rocky three. He says it is the absolute pinnacle of his physique. It got so overblown that he felt sorry for his victims on screen. And that's an actual fucking quote. So at any rate, that's our take on, on, on John Rambo. There, there are some other interesting things going on, but I just thought the most interesting part was those 10 years it took from book to screen how difficult it was for Hollywood to strike the right tone with those three characters that, that are spotlighted in that story. Well, I have, I have two things to say. One, um, I touched on it earlier, but I'll reemphasize. Stallone talks uh, a bit about this during the fabulous documentary called Inferno, uh, The Making of the Expendables, which is more of a documentary about Stallone. I think we've talked about it before on this program, actually, through the prism of getting the Expendables made. And he talks about Rambo, um, as well as Rocky. Um, and he, he said that the, the original cut of First Blood was three hours long, and he had dialogue all the way through it. And he went outside after the, the first screening to throw up, um, and he thought it was absolutely going to ruin his career. And he offered, in all sincerity, to buy the master print from the producers so that he could set it on fire. And they specifically, he's like, so he offered to buy it from them. They're like, why? And he's like, because I want to burn it. They're like, we can't let you do that. And he's like, all right, then you have to let me help edit it. Um, and he's like, that's why Rambo never talks. He's like, because we cut it down to like 90 minutes and we cut out all his dialogue. And he's like, that's what ended up making it work. But at the time, nobody knew, you know, and I just, I always thought that was interesting. And I thought I appreciated his honesty and kind of examining that process. So that's one. Uh, second, I want to ask you a question, uh, Jason. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, Rambo 5 or Rambo Last Blood? Because that was a very divisive movie. I saw this is a, you know, we never talk about what we're going to talk about really 
at all on this show. I watched probably the first quarter to a third of that movie and then stopped watching it. And I'm a, I mean, I'm a Stallone Mark. I think if you've listened to this show, you kind of know that Dave and I are Stallone Marks. It just wasn't anything I gave a fuck about. And it didn't even seem like I was watching a Rambo film. So I was just like, well, this is nice and all, but you could have called it, you know, you could have, it didn't have to be John Rambo in this movie. It could have just been kindly uncle psycho taking care of the family here. It, it didn't have to be John Rambo. What I did think about whatever the fuck it's called, John Rambo for whatever the fuck it's called. No, the fourth movie. Oh, what I did uh, think about Rambo. Rambo. What I did think about that film is that it was fucking insane as far as just laying it out on the line. The you want to see the darkness of the of the fucking world that's based on reality? Holy shit! It was shocking. I remember at the time that film came out, it was goddamn shocking. Yeah, because it, it, it didn't seem like an action adventure film at all. It seemed like it. It seemed like you could have done First Blood, and somehow. I don't know, done a little montage at the beginning about what happened with Rambo's life when he was fucking in hard labor and shit, paid his dues, and then left to go across the country and start the franchise again as if you didn't even need uh, Rambo 2 and 3. Correct. I mean, it seems so much like the first, this is a natural extension of, of how horrible this man's life is, but what a goddamn masterful killing machine he is too and i think that that's something to be said for that film even though my god it's not for the the faint of heart not at all and it didn't feel exploitive either like it was gratuitously violent but the the gratuitous violence felt like it was there for a very genuine purpose it wasn't Mm -hmm. just like look at this action or this person getting blown up it very much spoke to the very genuine humanitarian crisis that continues in that part of the world you know today um so i that's one thing that i did felt was a little different between uh ram i'll just i'll give them numbers just for clarity between rambo 4 and rambo 5 the violence in rambo 5 very much felt more exploitive now and at the end it felt like and it was entered the the last act of the movie was entertaining as hell because you see all these terrible people just get these horrible comeuppances but it was like basically an x-rated version of home alone like he's just basically setting these fucking traps around this property and just murdering the fuck out of people. The one thing that bothered me story-wise of Rambo 5, outside of some of the real icky kind of feeling parts of it, um, in regards to just human misery that is kind of, again, shown on screen with more... It felt more exploitive than what I would say things in Rambo 4 did. Uh, but... <laughs> There was one. There's one part where he's trying to find like this girl that he identifies as like his niece, essentially, and he's he's looking for her, and he knows he's in a, a rough part of town in a different country and all this, and he just kind of shambles into this really bad neighborhood and gets spotted, and then gets the ever loving shit kicked out of him. And it, my thing was like, all right, I'll fully expect he's older. I'll fully accept he's rusty. I'll fully accept if he got like caught. Because, I mean, even, you know, the whole story of Rambo is that he was captured during Vietnam and then tortured in a POW yeah. camp and then escaped. Um, I refuse to believe that this man that we have seen go through all this shit in the previous films would just, like, not even attempt to stealth his way into this part of town and be such a moron that he would just walk right on in and be surprised when he, like, runs into resistance there. Like, that... That one element of it really bothered me because it didn't feel true to who that character was. Yeah. Um, and that's where I would agree it didn't feel like a Rambo film. The, the end of it felt like a Rambo film, but <laughs> but I agree that really in staying true to the original, Rambo 4 was, you know, you could have those two as a standalone. I yeah. mean, two movies aren't a series, but as a standalone story, and it, it's very well, complete without the other films even being referenced. It, it's, it's like... Uh, a tale of two Rambos. You got Rambo one and four that belong together. Rambo two and three belong together. Rambo five doesn't belong to fucking anything. So it is, it's pick your Rambo, whichever one you want. I like the more dramatic one. There is some, one last thing I want to say, because I know we have to move from this topic and this was not a lot. Sometimes I'll write down notes. This is just coming on the top of my head that I just fucking remembered this is that Stallone uh, very gave a very, uh, now it's highly referenced um, source material for people writing biographies about him and shit in a details magazine once. 
uh, was a very, very extensive interview. And he said something that caught my attention, a lot of people's attention. When was the Uh, interview, Jason? Do you remember? I think if I had to remember, it would have been around 94, Okay. Ninety, probably nineteen ninety four, because uh, Demolition Man had just come out, and then he was getting ready to do. He was on the set of Judge Dredd when this interview took place. But it is, it is always looked at as one of the finest journalistic things that have been done into his life, because he talked a lot about things that he had never talked about. There's a biography about Stallone called A Rocky Life or something like that, and in this book they reference more of this details magazine article than I think actual fucking research they did into the man's life but anyway <clears throat> there's something he says in the interview that i just now remembered about rambo where uh he has i don't know how many children um sylvester stallone has but he had one and i believe his name was sage sage stallone that recently uh, well not recently but a few years ago uh, i believe overdosed on drugs or something of this nature I yeah he remember. also side note played uh played rocky's son in in the much derided rocky five that was okay. uh sylvester stallone's actual son he directed a bunch of horror films and stuff in his later in his life but he still died very young from drug related causes i believe as well let me ask you something dave is was his name sage stallone yes yes <clears throat> okay thank you so Stallone has another son that's not talked about very often called, yes. I believe, Serge Stallone. And uh, Serge or Serge Stallone is autistic. And there, there was something that he was talking about in the interview. And he said that he would watch his son and that his son would not blink and would just slowly move almost robotically to absorb his environment. And wouldn't say anything a lot of times, but he was, and he wouldn't blink. He seemed all like literally like robotic in his movements and the way that he, you could tell his mind was processing things. And he said that after, I believe it was uh, first blood that in that this would become part of his characterization of Rambo is that he would he took a lot of what he observed his son doing as as having autism and being on the spectrum as part of Rambo's makeup that he had somehow been transformed into this almost autistic killing machine that why he could not relate to a lot of people things circumstances certainly in the United States of free enterprise and being re, you know assimilated into our culture the one thing that stuck with him of being a prisoner of war is how to fucking effectively kill people and like a machine of war. And I never forgot that, that he, that he watched something, something as tragic. Well, I mean, it can be as, as having your child have autism and being present of mind to observe him enough to go, this is interesting enough to put this into an iconic global motion picture character because really if you want we've talked about jason's hideout you got harrison ford who played han solo and indiana jones and that's two godlike characters that will outlive this motherfucker by probably a thousand years and stallone's the other one that really does have these fucking iconic i mean statuesque characters rocky and rambo and that he took his his the his son being on the spectrum and actually made that part of the characterization of Rambo. It's just amazing. And we we don't really count Mark Hamill because Mark Hamill does have Luke Skywalker and the Joker, but the Joker was a pre-existing property that predates Mark Hamill. Now, yes, Rambo existed in a book, but it was First Blood that brought that character and that story to to public consciousness on a wider stage. Um, There had not been previous film, television adaptations of John Rambo, so Stallone was the first person to play him. So Rocky and Rambo for Stallone. Um, and then, as you mentioned, Jason Han Solo and Indiana Jones for Harrison Ford. Those are the only two I could think of that had two iconic once-in-a-lifetime characters. I can think of a bunch who had one, but I can't think of anyone else other than those two who had two. Well, the, even in our day and age, when, you, when you're looking at certain actors of, well, they played, you know, the Terminator, and then they played, you know, this, or they played the... the what I'm talking about is characters that are so fucking big that you can show the image of not the actor but the character to anyone on this planet earth. And they fucking know that character. They don't say Sylvester Stallone. They say John Rambo. Matter of fact, somewhere in New Guinea right now, Rambo is being worshiped as a God of war. 
legitimately a god of war. So, I mean, th- these things happen when you play a character of that fucking magnitude. I mean, the responsibility is fucking unbelievable, immense, and amazing. But, you know, Stallone's got two of them, two of the biggest of all time. And I wouldn't, and, you know, Schwarzenegger obviously has the Terminator, I, and Predator was a massive movie, but I wouldn't say the character of Dutch no. was like somehow on anywhere near the level of what we're talking about for, as a character, as Rambo, as Rocky, that personified yeah. that franchise that you couldn't do another movie without. You can't do a Rocky movie up until recently because now they're kind of doing them with, with Creed. But, you you know, in the old, you couldn't do a Rocky movie without Rocky. You can't do a Rambo movie without Rambo. You could do Predator movies without Dutch. So... Well, yeah, I, that's what I mean. It's just, it's one of those things where it's a, it's a ba- basically it's kind of a little side topic because we did cover this on some hideout somewhere. I don't know. I'm just but, assuming most of the dozens haven't seen it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, but the thing is that what's interesting is that there are certain characters people play, okay, that Transcend. people don't need, people, people don't even need to fucking see the movie. I'm telling you right now, there are millennials and people younger than millennials, whatever the fuck we're calling these people, you know, generation double Z, whatever the fuck we're calling them. But that if they see a picture of Rambo, they know exactly what, who that is and what he's about and have never, never seen the goddamn movie. That's a, that's a order of magnitude of a character being visceral where they know, I mean, where they are that fucking known. And I mean, it's just unbelievable to think that all through the seventies, they couldn't get someone to attach their fucking name to it. And all these years later, and I, I do credit Sylvester Stallone. Absolutely. For for being the one to put to, to make John Rambo into what the fuck it is today, which is some people, you know, they, 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 uh, absolutely think it's, uh, a horrible glorification of violence and military might and masculinity and blah, blah, blah. And other people like, you know, my dad, he sees anything Rambo come on the TV. Uh, nothing's getting done. That's it. A Miller lights getting cracked open and he's watching Rambo do some Rambo shit. So, I mean, it's just, that's how it is. And, um, but I do, I really do to wrap it up, really encourage you guys to go back, rewatch first blood or read the novel, read the, read the, uh, the original novel by David Morrell so that you can actually see where this came from and uh, how, how amazing it was that it finally got to the screen. And, and even that last uh, bit of his dialogue at the end, people, some of them are like, well, you can't really make out what he's saying, some of it and blah, blah, blah. And then there's other people that say it was so poignant. It touched them for the rest of their lives. It's one of the best, mo- of, it was the best monologue of his career. Probably a lot, a lot of Vietnam vets were like, that's exactly how I fucking feel. That's exactly how I fucking feel. That's, and I mean, imagine Rocky and I'm now using Rocky cause that people would call him Rocky, not Stallone being the first huge actor personality to play a returning vet in a movie and make him out to be unsympathetic or to be a psychotic, you know, killer with no real reason or motivation, how that might've set the tone for a lot of things. Uh, and, and by the time they brought to screen, there was a lot of fucking sympathy and there was a lot of let's treat these people like human beings and try to get inside their minds as to why they're behaving this way when we don't understand what would become post-traumatic stress disorder. I'll say this, Jason. Uh, I also have a Rambo board game that is based in detail off of Rambo's two and three, and it is awesome. Uh, <laughs> now, do, I you actually, s- do you actually wear the red headband and get the Rambo knife I, out and all that I think shit? Actually, it has a Rambo knife like made out of cardboard <laughs> that's used as a round marker. You put a bullet in like the notches of the knife nice. as the game goes on as like your time oh, limit. Yeah. Um, and then also, I believe if you had originally done the Kickstarter for the game back when it first got funded, like several, maybe four or five years ago, I do believe the Kickstarter version did come with a red headband, but the last, uh, I have the retail copy, mine did not. Uh, but uh, it, it's shockingly good. I, I was playing one of the campaign missions about a week ago, and it was actually the the first like mission of, of Rambo 2, except they adapted it so that it's like four players, because you had Rambo, Troutman, uh, the, the lady... I, whose name I can't remember, and then somebody yeah. else they made up for the game who's a sniper. Um, and you're like a team trying to go to the POW camp and take pictures and stuff. Made it to the last round, and then Rambo drew a card where basically he was frozen in fear with like a post-traumatic moment, and because of that, we lost. <clears throat> and Rambo, hey, I, Rambo I, failed his compatriots in his greatest moment of need. 
Rambo Rambo does have a gaming history. They came out with a fucking video game of Rambo right after Rambo 2. Yeah, there's been and, several. Well, the thing is, what's interesting about this one is it's just a fucking scroller game where I think they took a lot of stuff from um, like that Legend of Zelda 2 kind of game where they were just trying to, they were just trying to figure some shit out. But it was a shitty game where basically Rambo doesn't have a gun and he's beating on snakes and fucking butterflies or some shit in the jungle. And you just keep scrolling, that's it. But what the interesting part about this game and what a lot of fucking fanboys remember the most is at the end, when you're fighting the boss of the game, which I don't know if it's, I think it's a Soviet guy or somebody, he's always kicking the shit out of Soviets. He's doing some final fucking karate type moves where he can actually somehow project like kanji symbols or something out of his body. It hits the fucking Soviet soldier and turns them into frogs. Wow. And this is what we all remember from this. If you know anything about this game is what the fuck with Rambo being able to do like Chinese magic and fucking turn people into frogs. Because if that's how Rambo three went, would have gone down. We're at the end of like, Oh Jesus Christ. He's a goddamn sorcerer. He learned how to do this in Vietnam when they captured him. It's, this is what he spent all his time doing. He's a goddamn sorcerer. Of course he didn't want to take on this fucking little town. He would have turned everybody into frogs. It's like I'm in, telling you, that's amazing. That's some like, gaming history for you out there, folks. It's like in Superman 2, uh, the the actual theatrical oh. release version, where Superman like took like pulled the logo off his suit and it turned into like this plastic like shield and he like threw it at them or some weird shit. Like, what the fuck is happening right now? Or he could kiss Lois Lane and just, like, give her amnesia. That was a fun one, too. Uh, um, hey, it's rock- hey but, Superman wanted to. Come on now. But, uh, yeah, Rambo the board game, ladies and gentlemen. I highly recommend it. It's a little pricey, but worth it. I believe it was on Amazon. I highly, highly advise it. And, it's and great- I highly advise Rambo the Frog Sorcerer. So I'm going to call an audible, Jason. We had a wrestling topic lined up, but I just I think we've kind of reached the natural conclusion of the show. Hold on a second. Hold on. A, hold everything. No, we're okay. leaving. Goodbye. Here's, 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 here's what I'd like to say. We did have a wrestling topic that we're not going to get to, and I totally understand because it wouldn't do it justice. We need a little more time with it. But let me just say for all of you Ric Flair fans out there, whether you believe in the picture or not, I love Ric Flair because he's Ric Flair, not just because he's the 16-time world heavyweight champion and because he's the man, okay, but because, hey, he's got that certain, you know, flair with the women, even now. So, I mean, whether you believe the picture or not, woo, it is what it is, and I'm still a Ric Flair fan, and part of the reason I'm a Ric Flair fan is because that is highly credible, what went down today. If you have no idea what we're talking about, folks, just uh, look on Twitter and then have some bleach nearby so that you may pour it into your eyes. But don't try to inject yourself with it because it won't cure COVID. Uh, And on that note, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. And we are one day closer to dead, hopefully not from cotton candy, but that day is not and will not be today. So until next week.